Good morning, everyone. Quick question. Quick question. If you think that the name of Jesus is wonderful, would you stand up? Would you stand up? Of course, when you ask a question like that, who's going to stay seated, right? All right, sit down. That's a tough song to follow. Uh, gets me choked up. Name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, I pray that you would help us to prepare our hearts to receive what your word says. And Lord, I just ask that you would strengthen us. Watch over Chuck and Kim as they're away. Lord, keep them safe. Lord, uh, they haven't been married that long. Lord, I just ask that you would give them many more years. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, Does anybody know what the title of this sermon is? Does anybody know what that is besides my wife? Nobody. Good. It's a secret. Because it, I'm gonna I'm gonna spill the beans. It was Christian preppers, Christian preppers, and I wanted that name, or I kind of felt like I needed that name because the real title is locked and loaded, and I don't think that's gonna make it onto you know whatever platform we're using to get it out there. <laughs> But it is locked and loaded. Locked and loaded. What does that really mean? What does that mean to be locked and loaded? You probably heard it. TV, movie, something along those lines. Usually has a connotation of a person who's ready to confront an enemy, an evil force, or some other sinister nemesis. But what does it really mean? Where did it come from? Where's that phrase from originally? Um, These are questions I ask myself. So where does it come from? Well, I'm glad you asked because I have the answer right here. All right. The command to lock and load means to prepare a firearm for firing where you put it in condition one. Loaded magazine inserted and locked in place, round in the chamber. The weapon is cocked and ready to fire. But the safety is on. The safety is on. Apparently, this term was first used uh, of the M1 Garand rifle in World War II. But it's also a, a store in Pena, Illinois, because I was doing all this research, and I put in locked and loaded. And if you need any guns or ammunition, there's a store in Illinois that you, it's a short drive from here. It's only like 98 hours, but I digress. Locked and loaded. Locked and loaded. It was not an empty phrase or a cliché. 
It was an acknowledgement of readiness for action, being combat ready. Today, for many, it's become a cliché. Often it's an empty statement made by someone to sound cool or tough, signifying that the sayer of that phrase was up to speed and ready to go. But, but, when a real need arises, the claim falls flat. The person really wasn't prepared, and they proved their vulnerability under pressure and may place others besides themselves in peril. Beside themselves. Just as in police or military settings, we're counting on the preparedness of the person to your left or right. We in the true faith, those who are truly disciples of Christ, we need to be trustworthy, locked and loaded, as it were where we can count on a man or woman to our left or right and they can count on us. We all who claim Christ need to be ready, locked and loaded. It boils down to preparation. That's why this whole thing of Christian preppers just didn't work for me. That sounds like, you know, Christians are going to grab their stuff and find a place to hole up and be safe. And that's not what we're called to, is it? Is it? Thank you. I love you guys. All right. His true children, we rush into battle. We need to. We need to be ready to rush into battle towards the gunfire, if you will. But we need to do it fully prepared. There's a battle raging all around us. You know, I know that some people just don't watch the news. They say it's depressing, upsetting, anxiety-producing, and all that. But I'm going to tell you, I would rather be a little anxious than totally ignorant. Because getting hit... From the blind side, is never good. <laughs> Any of you play sports, contact sports, football? Gee, what a wonderful experience. Somebody, 200 pounds, cl clipping you from your blind side. And you end up looking either at the dirt or the clouds. And you're going, how did I get here? We can't afford to do that. We should not even have that as a possibility. Just about every norm that has its roots in the Judeo-Christian uh, foundings that made America great are under attack or have already fallen to the woke progressive left. Why? Again, I'm glad you asked, because I have an answer right here. I believe it's the result of the Christian community being unprepared. And therefore, unwilling to fully engage in the work given. Oh, thank you so much.
I don't know what I sounded like, but I felt like I was yelling. Um, but, but we're unwilling to engage because we're not prepared. And we've been called to a fight. Just look at the Old and New Testament, all the references to battle. This is not a vacation. Although Cape May is nice, I get it. You know, Cape May is good. If you don't lose a tire. All right. So what do we need to do to be prepared? To be truly spiritually locked and loaded. Glad you asked. You guys are awesome. They didn't give you the memo that every time you ask why, you get a dollar. And now it's too late because there's no more. No, there's no more. That deal's off the table. Okay, and I am all for preparing. I am. I'm big on prepping. Um, if, if Joy and I are going on a trip, if I'm going on a trip by myself, whatever, uh, when I would go down and visit Mom, okay, and I would drive, first thing I'm doing is... You know, I'm changing the oil on the vehicle, I'm checking the fluids, air pressures, everything. All real men who do that, raise your hand. There we go. Now, the rest of you guys, take note, all right? All right. Um, When I was growing up in California, and that explains a lot for most of you, I know that. I grew grew up in L.A., I was part of the Cub Scouts and then into the Boy Scouts. And their motto, they had a couple of them, you know, I promise to do my duty, you know, that. But the other one is be prepared, real simple, be prepared. And I took that seriously. Now, I want us to think about this. What if we were going to go spiritually backpacking, backpacking, all right? Think about it. What do you need to bring? What do you need? A camper is not the answer. That's not backpacking. There's four basic things. Food? Not yet. Not yet. We're not there yet. You read my notes. We need food. We need water. We need some protective weaponry. And we need shelter. And the Word of God addresses each one of those things. What is our spiritual food? I know some of you know this passage, um, and, and, and I don't want you to get the wrong idea, but it's, it's like, be a baby. Be a baby. 1 Peter 2, 1-3. Oh, cool. We got a monitor up here. All right. Look at that. I'm going to get distracted now. It's terrible having ADD. 1 Peter 2, 1 to 3. Okay, how do we respond? Therefore, please do yourself a favor. Do yourself a spiritual favor. Do the kingdom of God a favor. Read 1 Peter chapter 1. Read 1 Peter chapter 1. It is awesome. But he says, therefore... Based on what's in chapter 1, therefore laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking, as newborn babes, 
Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, it's conditional. If you don't know Jesus, this makes no sense. It makes no difference. It makes no impact. If we know Christ as Lord and Savior, this makes a difference. In there, it says, as newborn babes desire the pure spiritual, uh, pure milk of the word. The word desire, it's a strong word. It's an emphatic word. It's, it's, you know, wow, go for it, gusto, energy. In the Septuagint, that's um, the Greek translation of uh, the Old Testament, it's used for a man's deepest longings, desire, his longings. For example, in Psalm 42, 1, it says, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants after you. You get the picture? You get the picture? I mean, there is just this drive. There's a drive. Babes and desire. Let's take a couple of those words from this passage. A healthy new baby, a healthy one, all right? They yearn for milk. I love babies. Um, before we moved to uh, Pennsylvania, um, our son was young. He was just maybe a couple years old, whatever. Um, but the way the, the Sunday school was laid out is that, you know, it went from the, the baby nursery to the toddlers and on down the hall you went and the older they got. Our son went... Uh, you know, first to the baby nursery and all that. But then shortly after, when he was in with the toddlers, uh, we would walk to drop him off. And, you know, of course, we knew everybody who was in the nursery and all that. And you go, and, hey, how you doing? Somebody be holding the baby doing this, the, the women doing this. Hey, Paul, how are you? And you're like, stop it. You know, I'm going to throw up here, you know. <laughs> but it was, and it, and it just broke my heart. It just broke my heart. These little guys crying. These little guys crying. They had a desire, and they made it known. They made it known. And they didn't care who was around. And we need to be like that. As the deer pants after the water brook, you know, getting, um, you know, I'm over 40 now. And, you know, I'm not as, stop laughing. Um, the, uh, here we go again. All right. <laughs> but we need to develop this desire that comes from within you understand that that desire comes from within oh lord place it on my heart to go make disciples no the word of god says go make disciples do it desire just like babies it's instinctual we should be desirous of that the failure to either desire, thank you again, uh, or to receive that pure spiritual milk of the, of the Word is the reason, understand this, is the reason there are so many problems in both individual Christians' lives and in congregations around the world. They are not driven by desire for God's Word. F.B. Meyer uh, was a contemporary of um, D.L. Moody and... Um, I think, Chuck, you know Dale Moody, right? He was from the 1800s. 
He wrote this. He wrote this. He said, The sickly condition of so many Christians sets forth a lamentable complaint of the food which they are supplied. To say nothing of strong meat, they don't even get milk. Now, he's talking here. Let me, let me finish. I'll finish. Hence, the church of God too much resembles the wards of a children's hospital. Understand, Pastor Chuck preaches from this book. He's got his own. Where's yours? Where's yours? All right? Get yourself a copy. All right? This thing is falling apart. I've preached from this for 10 years. I've got notes all in this thing. A Bible teacher from a long time ago told us, write in it. Write in it. Because if something happens, the person who picks this up has the Bible, but also your study notes. Your study notes. Get a copy. Write in it. Bring it with you wherever you go. I'm thankful that Pastor Chuck preaches the Word of God. There should have been more. Let's try it again. I'm glad Pastor Chuck preaches the Word of God. Wow. (laughs) Okay, that was excitable. That you may grow thereby. See, there's a result. There's a result. Peter's talking about, you know, you suck up the Word of God. There's a result that you may grow thereby. The Word of God is necessary for the growth of the Christian the true disciple. For so many years now, we talk about people who own Bibles who have to go look for them. And then when they take them off the shelf, they're like this. And the dust just cut. That should not be. We should desire the pure, spirit, uh, the pure milk of the word, even though Paul rebukes these Christians uh, Corinthian Christians in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, he says, you know, uh, here Peter's saying, drink some milk. Paul is saying, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Who are newborn babies? In a way, we all are. In a way, we all are. Most advanced among us in knowledge, attainment, uh, that kind of thing in comparison to others. Again, F.B. Meyer says we're all kind of like babies. We need to be growing. We need to be desiring the milk of the word. To drink the milk of the word is to taste again. Another passage from Scripture. Okay, again and again what he is like. You go to the word of God, you're finding out who he is. And you're finding out who you are in relation to who he is. Laying aside all malice, guile, hypocrisy, and so forth. This is an attitude of the heart. It's the putting off and the putting on. I know, I know sin is a struggle. I, I know sin is a struggle. But there is nothing. There is nothing that can keep you from a sinless life because it's already been given to you. It says in Scripture that Jesus broke the power of sin and death. Amen? Amen. Then act like it. 
Then act like it. Okay? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's just that simple. Um, all right. Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. I did a good job in getting this stuff to you guys. It's actually in order. All right. Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. For though by this time you ought uh, to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. You have come to need it. That's sad. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness. Okay, well, I'm saved. I'm saved. I wonder. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness, for he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. By this time, you've been in the faith for this long. By this time, you should be more mature than you are. How many of you can agree with that? I will. I will. I never thought at 65 I would still be this immature. Am I 65? No, 64. 64. Yeah, mom, mom had dementia, I think. it. Anyway, by this time, don't waste any more time. Don't waste it. You ought to be teachers. This one I love. This one I love. I was thinking about this. It's not that there's this unique position for every believer who's in, you know, this, this idea of being a teacher as a, as, a, as a position, okay? They ought to be teachers in the sense that every Christian should be a teacher. My job as a therapist is not in Scripture as a spiritually given uh, position. Some are, you know, to be teachers, pastors, and so forth. You won't find counselor in there. What the Bible talks about counseling is out there. You all should be counseling one another. Do I get an amen? Amen. Good. We must be teachers to help disciple others. To help disciple others. See, locked and loaded, like I said, that means that you're here for the person next to you, behind you, in front of you, whatever. We need to be there. We need to be ready as iron sharpens iron kind of thing. Okay. But understand this. I I found this out sort of by accident. When I got tapped, this is so long ago, um, I got tapped to teach the book of Jonah, which was ironic. Uh, would you stop? You're giving, me a, you're giving me a complex up here. Okay? But, yeah, this whole running from God thing. But what I found when I got assigned to teach the book of Jonah, I found out I knew more about the book by studying 
and getting ready to teach it than I ever would by sitting and listening to somebody. How many of you have found that to be true? I'm seeing heads and hands. Teaching is the final step of learning. Teaching is the final step of learning. And you're never done learning. And teaching helps you learn more. You need someone to teach you again those first principles. What the heck does that mean? First principles. That's your baby steps. It's learning about what does the Bible say about this or about that. It's not going into the real heavy-duty, meaty stuff, but it's learning what we would call maybe doctrine. What does the Bible say about sin, about man, about, you know, angels, about, you know, heaven or about this or that? It's just right there. This is what it says. Boom. That's milk. That's the basics. We need to move beyond that. Second Timothy, it says, study to show thyself approved. A workman rightly handling the word of truth who need not be ashamed. Study. Work hard, great diligent, sweating, the whole thing. Why? So that we're not embarrassed. Because there's a day when we're going to face Christ. And what we try and hide by whatever means... It will be revealed. And I'm not just talking sinful behavior. I'm talking about sloppy living, just not studying the Word of God. You're going to get up there, and he's just going to look at you, and you're going to go, oh, man, he knows. Yeah, he does. He really does. Prevent that. Get busy now. I want you to think about this. Um, this idea of being a baby, a babe. In the ancient Greek, that sense for the phrase is for he has become as a babe. There's nothing more delightful. I love babies. I do. Um, they would hand me the screamers back in the day, and I would sit there in the nursery, and my beard was full, and yes, it's getting longer, I know. Um, winter's coming. <laughs> well, you can never be too prepared. It's part of the sermon. All right, but they would latch on and they'd be screaming and fussing and tears and and I just talk and rock talk and rock and pretty soon don't you love when kids when little kids do that or when my dog does that when you when you're petting them I just love that okay but soon they would they would fall asleep they would fall asleep. But see here, this is not a good thing. They have become, by choice, a baby. That's, that's not complimentary. Babies are cute. Anyone over, like, four who acts like a four-month-old, that's no longer cute. All right? That's just... Not good. All right? Don't put yourself there. They're unskilled in righteousness. Babies are unskilled in righteousness. Those who have become babies reveal themselves. They're unskilled spiritually in the Word of God. We don't expect a brand new Christian to really handle the Word of God. 
the way, you know, some of you guys in here have been in seminary or you've been in the faith for so long and faithful in your study. Somebody who's only been in the faith a year, two years, maybe three, I don't know. You don't expect that. But we don't expect them to stay there either. Who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Our senses are exercised. They're trained through habit, practice and habit, to discern both good and evil. Now, what we're, we're not talking just about the moral stuff. It's primarily doctrine. We need to understand this book from a doctrinal level because doctrine determines life. You get your worldview from what you believe is doctrine. Yeah, I've got a copy of the Quran at home. I Have I read it? Yeah. But it's not my doctrine. That's not my doctrine. This is my doctrine here. Okay? Our senses become exercised when we use them through use. All right? I want you to think of it this way. I, this is not mine. This piece is not my material. But it's about the five senses. All right? About the five senses. And, and the, the correlation to spiritual issues. We have spiritual sense of taste. If indeed, 1 Peter 2, 3, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious or good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34. All right? We have spiritual sense of hearing. Isaiah 55, 3. I don't think I gave you guys these. All right? So don't go crazy trying to find them. All right? Or, or you could, and I'll just stand up here and kind of chuckle at you as you're looking for what you don't have. That would be mean, so I won't do that. Have spiritual sense of hearing. Hear, and your soul shall live. Hear. How do we hear? No, I mean, if you can hear this, you know, just pages, you know, we need to talk. But, um, you know, if, 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 if you have that spiritual sense awakened in you, you can hear what's being said through the written word. Isaiah 55, Revelation 2.7, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let him hear. Don't keep from hearing is what that is. We have spiritual sense of sight. Open my eyes that I may see the wondrous things from your law. Psalm 119. The eyes of your understanding, that's your heart being enlightened, Ephesians 1. Okay? You, are, you, are you with me on this? Are you seeing that God, in His Word, wants us to feed on His Word? Through his spirit, we have a sense of a spiritual sense of touch or feeling. Because your heart was tender. That's by choice. That's by choice. And you humbled yourself before the Lord. Second Kings twenty two. The hardening of the heart, who being past feeling, having given themselves over to licentiousness, Ephesians. Four. 
what we feed on is important. If all you're feeding on is the world, that part of us that was created in the image and likeness of God will never be satisfied. There is a longing until such point as somebody so hardens their heart. We need to be in there before that happens, if we can. If you and I are graced with the opportunity to share our faith with somebody. It might be just before they cross that line of no return. It's that unpardonable sin, the rejection of the Holy Spirit. The rejection of the Holy Spirit, you're done. You're done. We need to get in there. Spiritual water, living water. Second thing, we need food, we need water. John 4 13 through 15. And this is where Jesus describes the effect of living water. I know most of you are familiar with this, but I just love it anyway. Jesus answered and said to her, this is the woman at the well. This is where he's sitting there. The boys have gone off to town. And this woman comes along with a pot that she's going to dip into the well. And Jesus is sitting there and he says, "Um, you know, I'd, I'd like a drink, please. And she says... You know, so what? He said to her, whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I'm going to give them will never thirst. Water, or they will thirst, but uh, the water that I shall give him uh, will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Whoever drinks this water, the world's water, H2O, is going to thirst. Jesus knew that this woman and everybody in the village had to go to that well. But Jesus said there's a thirst that is greater than that, that only I can fulfill. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Where do we find that water today? Let me think. Let me think. Uh, I know, and so do you. Open your book. Open the good book. Drink. Drink that water. Drink that water. But the water that I shall give him shall become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The effect of this water does more than satisfy, you know, some some thirst need. It creates something good. It creates something good, something life-giving. I want you to think of it. It's life-giving, yes, to you but also to those around us who are looking to the world to have their needs met. You and I can be instrumental. We're not the cause of salvation. But, you know, think of yourself as a spiritual cupid, all right? We're just making introductions. That's what we do. That's what we do. Now, let's go on to uh, the weapons, the weapon part. Um, my son's gone uh, overnighting, backpacking kind of stuff. 
<coughs> somewhere in the middle of Pennsylvania. I don't even, oof, it's out in the middle of nowhere. Something on the Appalachian Trail or something. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, he's talking about at night. Did you ever notice when you're not in town, not in your house, and you're in the middle of nowhere, it's dark. Anybody notice that besides me? It's really dark out there. And then you hear a noise. Wonderful. Jake and I, my son, Jake, we were camping up along Delaware Water Gap, and uh, middle of the night, hear this noise. We had our tent that we were sleeping in, but also a screen tent, you know, over the table and all that stuff. We heard this noise in there. And so, you know, back before I had my eyes worked on, I'm trying to find my glasses. I'm trying to find a flashlight, you know, and it was frustrating. Anyway, get out of the tent and shine in our flashlights, and there are two baby skunks. So cute. So cute. How do we get them out of here? Wouldn't you like to? No. No, I don't want to hold it. I don't want to pet it. While those little, you know, murder mechanisms are still in there, those little scent glands. Springing up into everlasting life. Okay? We're not to be spraying stink. We're to be spraying living water. It says flowing out of us. Flowing out of a skunk, you expect a certain thing. Flowing out of a Christian, we should expect something else. Are you with me on that example? I worked on that one. I had to bring in the baby skunks. They were so cute. We got them out. We didn't get squirted. Anyway, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. There's a time of judgment. That last sentence talks of a judgment coming when our obedience. I don't want to see anybody go to hell. It's not up to me to keep them out. But understand that there's a battle for their their soul. The same as there was for you before you came to faith. There was a battle. We walk in the flesh. This, not fleshly. We walk in bodies, okay? Paul admitted he walked according to the flesh in the sense that we all do. He's flesh and blood. But Paul wants to make it clear that our war isn't fought on this level. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not the world's weapons. The carnal weapons, Paul refuses, um, were not material weapons. The carnal weapons he renounced were manipulation, deceit, uh, what his opponents used against him. He said, I won't do that. I won't do that. Paul would not defend his apostolic credentials with carnal weapons. 
In Ephesians 6, Paul lists the spiritual weapons. I know most of you are familiar with this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, again, therefore, because of this, based on this, take up the full armor of God. The full armor of God. How many of you have heard that like more than a hundred times? All right. Probably most of you. All right. So that. So that. That spiritual armor has a so that. A so what. A then what. If I do. Well, what he said is that we'll be able to resist the evil day. Having done everything. To stand firm. We have done everything to stand firm. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He will strengthen us, yes. But he is not going to make you do what is yours or mine to do. Stand firm. Belted your waist with truth. Jesus said, I am the way. Very good. All right. Everybody gets a sticker. Okay. Uh, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, how you living? How you living? Having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace, are your shoes meant for spiritual warfare? Or are they meant for carnal warfare. Do you just want to win? Or do you want to be a witness? In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Our faith won't grow if we won't grow our faith. It's about trusting God in the worst of times. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That peace that passes understanding, I try and keep things simple, all right? But to me, it's like when we're walking so close to Christ and the world's freaking out in your backyard, Maybe in your living room, you're going to have a peace where you're going, I should be freaking out about this, but I'm not. Why? Why? Because you've been prepared with the gospel of peace. You're so close to Christ that he is giving you that peace that passes understanding. You realize that your circumstances are not bigger than God. We need to feast on this. We need to prepare on this, we need to drink of this. The Corinthian Christians tended to rely on and admire carnal weapons for battle. This is this is not mine. This is really good, though. You got to listen to this. I don't come up with good stuff like this. Other people do, but I don't. But I, I know good when I see it. He says, instead of the belt of truth, the Chris, the Corinthians fought 
with manipulation. Instead of the breast instead of the breastplate of righteousness, they fought with the image of success. Instead of the shoes of the gospel, they fought with smooth swords. Instead of the shield of faith, they fought with the perception of power. Is any of this ringing a bell to anybody about the days in which we live? Anybody? Instead of the helmet of salvation, they fought with lording authority over others. Instead of the sword of the Spirit, they fought with human schemes and programs. Getting clearer? This will not make it onto the Internet. I don't care. Jesus replied, or relied rather, on spiritual weapons when he fought for our salvation. Listen to this. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 describes this. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave, coming in the likeness of men, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. That kind of victory, through humble obedience, offended the Corinthian Christians. It offended them. That's not what we do. And Paul said, it better be. It better be what you do. Because you won't win any other way. Alan Redpath, I don't know if any of you are familiar with him, Uh, brilliant man. Apart from the mighty awakening and revival in the church, we're fighting a losing battle. We are resisting on carnal levels. We will lose. We are losing. We know how the story ends. Pastor Chuck has made it pretty clear This book has made it even clearer. But I'm going to tell you, in the meantime, when Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus said, what you just said, that's what my church is going to be built on. And the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it or prevail against it. That's that's where we are. We need to get goosebumps And say, oh, yeah. Okay? Now, let's look at our sheltering. Psalm 61, 1 to 8. is confidence in God's protection. Hear my cry, O God. Give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Anybody have... One of those episodes of a faint heart in the last, I don't know, 18 months or so. Lead me. Lead me. Yes, we need to be led. We, you know, Jesus was the shepherd, the good one. And we're sheep. Cute, but man, are we dumb. Just cute as can be. All right, but not too smart. And David in this psalm says, lead me. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Who's the rock? Who is it? 
Let's all say it. Who's the rock? There you go. All right. Verse 4 says, let me dwell in your tent forever. God is not going to say, no, get out. We're going to go, oh, God, I'll be right back. And we leave the tent. It doesn't work. We fail. And we fail in our responsibility to those around us. That rock, that rock, our shelter, is a symbol for strength. It's a symbol for strength. Remember that song? The foolish man built his house on what? Sand. But that wise man built it on what? Capital R. Jesus Christ. It's a place of shelter, and it is also a place of defense. It's a place of defense. We are not to live there. We are to go there when things are really freaking out. But we're not to live there. We need to shelter in Christ. We need to shelter. We need the defensive weapons of Scripture. We need the water, that living water of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need the food, that spiritual food that only comes from this book. There you have it. That's what we need to do. That's how we need to live. For us to be able to thrive... That's a Casting Crowns reference, by the way. For us to truly thrive, we need spiritual food. We need living water. We need spiritual weapons. And we need shelter and abiding. Let's pray. Uh, Before I do, um, if any of you need prayer, want prayer, Right after service, please come up to the front. Sean, my wife, Joy, uh, I don't know. I don't have my glasses on for distance, so there's others I'm sure that are there that would pray. But if you want prayer, anything, anything, let us pray with you. Father, thank you for this day, this opportunity to open your word, to be moved by it. Lord, I know that Satan would try and snatch this stuff away. You can protect your word. You've done it for thousands of years. And Lord, uh, I just pray that whoever hears this, Lord, myself included, would remember these basics. But help us to grow beyond milk. Help us to be eating meat. Help us to take on the weapons of spiritual warfare not carnal weapons. Help us to drink richly from the well that is Christ. And then, Father, help us to abide. In Jesus' name, amen.